Good afternoon. Hi, my name is Bernetta Williams, and I am the Director of Teen Services at North Lake Community Center. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about how I got started with North Lake Community Center. I started as a teenager in the Work Ready program when I was in high school, and I received my first job with the internship program that I am currently the director of. Um, and my experience at North Lake then was very humbling. I learned how to do mock interviews, write resumes, send out professional emails, as well as um, make phone calls to professionals and let them know that I was interested in interviewing. So this was a long time ago because now that was back when you could go into a job and say, hey, are you all hiring? And you can call the HR department and say, hey, are you all hiring for a certain position? And now a lot of those things have changed. So I enjoyed my experience at North Light then. And as a Temple social work student, I came back in a internship perspective and helping the director of teen services. So here I am. Hi, my name is John Thornton, and I'm currently the group, a group supervisor in children's services. Um, I started out at Northlight as a intern in the computer um, as in the computer lab, and I didn't really like working with computers, so I decided to shift my career into working more so with the children directly with the children, and just giving them little tips and a uh, little education on what they could do. I started working with the three to five year olds and then I got my CDA thinking that I love working with the three to five year olds. And then when they moved me to working with the 10 to 12 year olds, I was like, oh no, I definitely don't want to do this. However, <laughs> after working with them for a few years, I found out that talking to them is natural. It's like talking to one of the adults and just Teaching them like life skills and everything else has been essential to where I want to be at currently. Hey, and we also have Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Hey, I'm Jesse. <laughs> uh, I'm the director of development at Northlight Community Center. I've been here for nine months now. Um, I didn't come here as a kid. I actually had never heard of Northlight before I got the job. Um, my, I'm three years out of college. My first year out, I worked at an inner city public high school. Uh, promoting post-secondary success and college access within the school's culture. Uh, from that, or I'll take a step back. I, I've always wanted to be the president of the United States. I want to run for politics. I have pretty ambitious dreams, and I'm not shy about sharing them. Okay. Um, I thought that having a good grassroots, holistic understanding of the struggles of real human lives, especially given the political state of our world today, was an important perspective to be able to bring into whatever position of power I have in the future. Um, so I started off at an inner city high school in a nonprofit, and then I got a master's in educational leadership. Uh, I saw how important education was in shaping the future of our world. Um, and so that's why I got that master's. And then while I was in that master's degree, I was working at the attorney general's office on the opioid epidemic, um, which we're bringing, which is a project that we're going to ultimately bring to Northlight um, in the future, which we can get to at a future episode. Uh, but then nine months ago, I found Northlight, uh, got the job as the director of development. And since then, it's been my job to write the grants, uh, reach out to donors. I work on the PR marketing side, uh, i.e. having the outreach like a podcast, having the videos, stuff like that. Um, Northlight Community Center is a vital piece of the Manny and Roxborough community. It's been here since 1936. 
Um, we started as a drop-in center during the Great Depression to divert youth from creating petty crime. Um, and we've kind of organically grown within the community over the last four or five generations. I think that's what made me really interested in North Lake Community Center because when I found out that they were helping out, it initially started out with um, the founders seeing these youth on the train tracks and just getting into all types of trouble and having a safe haven that spoke really close to my home because I come from that background growing up in North Philly, Hunnam Park, uh, West Philly, the bottom and all that. I really, I was one of those kids at one point who was hanging out on the tra train tracks. And you know, if you know anything about the Badlands, that you have chickens in the background, you would get your BB gun and shoot the chickens in the background. And it was just like this whole thing that we used to do. And it was all types of craziness. I know so many youth that I went to middle school with were graduating pregnant. So many youth were getting shot. So many youth were going through so many different things. And to be a part of an organization that is helping these children have an avenue that they can go down in the right direction is something I definitely wanted to be a part of. Yes. For sure. I mean, if I can just touch on that a little bit, that that was a big piece of why I came here as well. Um, North Light's a special kind of place, and I think that what we're trying to do here is really let other people in the world know about it because the reach isn't that big yet. Exactly. Uh, but what we do is special in terms of the holistic continuum of services from child care, which we will talk mostly about today. But then Burnett is also the director of our workforce development programs. There's a lot of great work that's going on there. And then we also have emergency services. So in terms of that organic growth that kind of came out in 1936 between the understanding between a police captain and a school principal to help these kids and not incarcerate them. Uh, has come this holistic continuum of support for the community, again, just out of the heart and goodness of people. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, that it, was, it started from a, a police officer and a principal, because now you can see some of those things cycling back around. Uh, we need those those community leaders, those people that are in the street, that are the foot soldiers, and we need the people that are directly connected to the students to be able to push them into directions, into community centers such as North Light. And I holistically understand that because going out here and doing outreach for teen services is, is an important part because you need to know the community. You need to know what their background is. Are they in the Badlands? Do they own BB guns and shooting at chickens and things like that? And then how do you organically transfer them from their experience to a community center like North Light? So we're not as rich as some places are where you have to be buttoned up, suit and tie and all of those kinds of things. We like to make it a very lax environment so people can really understand what we are, who we are and what we are trying to do. So let, that brings me into our discussion. The reason why I want to do this podcast is because, and I hope we can continue to do this podcast, is because one thing I want to do is be able to get information out to people, not just for Northlight to get our message out. However, get the parents' information and get children information that they really can relate to and speak about hot topics that they normally wouldn't talk about and just get them that information. Um, hopefully, we can get a lot of professionals in here and they can discuss it further than any one of us can. And hopefully, we can definitely touch home to a lot of families that we wouldn't be able to touch if it wasn't outside of this podcast. Um, 
So why do you think that families need childcare? To me, family need, families need childcare because a lot of families need somebody to help them at home. Um, if you're a working class family, and let's say you're a single parent mother, you're going to need somebody to help your child with homework. Let's say you don't even get home until like 8, 9 o'clock or even later, you're going to need some time for your child, some place for your child to be at that you know is safe, that you know will help them, that you know that you can call and find out information and get reports on what they've been doing while they weren't at school or while they were supposed to be home. Mm-hmm. I think that's been helpful with childcare facilities. In addition to that, it also helps with the children academically. I know we offer tutoring programs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if all the programs offer tutoring programs, but I know a lot of schools do after ki- I mean childcare services. And just looking into that has been helpful if you can get that resource. Mm-hmm. For Northlight specifically, so for those of you who don't know, um, Northlight, over half the families that we serve live below the poverty line. Over half the children that we serve uh, come from single-parent households. So, John, if you could just expand a little bit about the importance of affordable child care that's paid for on the sliding scale like we have at Northlight, and then also for a single parent, mom or dad, what are the struggles that maybe child care even reinforces even more? I can speak from my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own experience, I know that when I was younger, my mom, she struggled with finding anything for us to do. And we came from food stamps and not having much. So in my experience with a single parent, she needed to, she needed resources and didn't have the best resources and whatever she could find, they had a cost. I know nowadays they have CCIS and sliding scale. However, not all programs offer that. What's, what I love about Northlight is we do offer scholarships, CCIS, um, sliding scales. We do take CCIS, I'm sorry, and um, have sliding scale. And I think that that's very important for people who are impoverished to have those type of resources, especially a scholarship if you can't even afford CCIS. Um, yeah, so I think that's the importance. I just wanted to touch on that. And I also, so I believe that the necessity of childcare is important because of their family dynamic. So I come from a really big family on both sides, mother and father. And now that I'm of a millennial age, um, I noticed that the grandmothers are now grandmothers. You don't have that same kind of foundation that we used to have where kids could be dropped off at their grandparents' houses and you would feel very comfortable with the care that they were getting. So it was one thing that John said about high-quality care that is important. The one thing that I love about Northlight Community Center is when you have your kids at school, Northlight will call to make sure that they are being picked up at the the right time that the kids are in school and just making sure that the families are aware of different behaviors, socialization skills, and the staff there does a really great job on honing in on how to provide better quality for the, for the kids. Absolutely. And then, and then to me, I think that the big thing for child care, especially early child care, um, when we're born as human beings, only 30% of our brain is actually formed. Um, a lot of the additional 70% that is formed and the habits, the neural networks that are created with our minds 
are created by the environments and experiences we have in our very early years. Mm -hmm. You know, especially the age ranges of like zero to three, it's crazy what's going on in the human brain. And for them to have engaging experiences, educational experiences. I mean, having worked in the inner city and having come from the suburbs myself, that was where I saw the biggest gap was in the care for children, zero to two maybe, where a single mother who can't afford childcare, it's hard to have those engaging experiences. What are you gonna have your kid do? That's where having engaged grandparents, not relying on the nuclear family, but having a full community, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, and that brings me, that's one of the benefits of childcare. So what I've noticed is socialization is pivotal for our society. And I don't think that um, people realize how important, especially at a very early age, for children to have diversity in their background. And speaking on what you talked about coming from the suburbs and going to the inner city, that exposure and that diversity, seeing different perspectives, seeing different ways of life is something that children need at an early age to have them have a broader perspective on how they can live their life, a broader perspective of the limitations to their life. Because one of my favorite movies is Big Fish. And in Big Fish, he talks about a fish can... <laughs> Renetta's shaking her head because she doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so in, the, in Big Fish, it talks about a fish can only grow the size of the body of water that it comes from. So the larger the body of the water, the broader and bigger that it will grow, the more it will experience, the bigger it will become. My experience growing up in the hood, if I just stayed there and I wasn't exposed to different cultures, different backgrounds, and everything else, I don't think that I would have moved past where I came from. And I've watched so many people who have not moved past where they come from. They stay mm -hmm. where they're at. And they get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Complacent. Complacent. They mm -hmm. get very complacent. And I think that exposure helps them see, all right, this might be my life right now, but there's other ways to go about life. And I've saw Jesse, who wants to be president, go down this avenue to um, create his own lane. Maybe I should try something different. And Bernetta, she's doing this. Let me try something, touch on each one of these perspectives of life, rather than just everything that's in my household. It could be a working class family who comes from a single parent mother who has to drag on her day by working all day long. No, that's mm -hmm. not the avenue I want to go down. And if that's the only background you know, then you won't see it any other way than let me go down the same background. And that actually brings me to a very important part in the program that I do, because one of the benefits of child care for the people that I serve, which are teenagers and young adults, is that they need child services so that they can be a part of the programs that are out there for them. We have a program that's for 17 to 24 year olds and that they have children and no one to take care of them. How will they participate? And then it circles back to their same poverty cycle. I'm working to pay bills and I'm not really getting my, my foot in the door where I really want to because I don't have the proper services or high quality services that are necessary for childcare. And that goes back to why I think that it's really important for child services, for high quality, for a community so that they'll feel safe when they drop their kids off and they're not concerned. Or even if they're at a program, they're not getting multiple calls and feeling, you know, like I can't leave my child anywhere because I don't know if they're going to be safe. Exactly. And, um, and yeah, so I really 
understand that there are so many benefits for childcare. And I also know that there are many barriers that families face when they lose childcare. And um, John, can you speak a little bit about, because um, I don't really see the families lose childcare. And if they do, they just don't come back to my programs. Well, no, CCIS. That's okay. been an issue. Um, a lot of families, let's say they lose their job, they have to be at home. Me personally, I don't feel like if you lose. I'm sorry. Me personally, I feel like um, CCIS needs to do a little bit of a better job with finding different avenues for people who are at home mm. with their families. Um, in my experience, um, I came I also lived in the Hunting Park section and seeing so many people who were on drugs and so many different type of situations with people who grew up in prostitution and everything else them being at home might not be the best avenue even though their parent doesn't qualify for CCIS or even have a job you don't know what their exposure is at home mm -hmm. so I think having different outlets might be better for them um the huge barrier for families lose face. I mean, a huge barrier for families by losing childcare is not knowing what's going to happen next for your child. Not understanding what the next, the future is for your child. Not understanding how you can get a job if you gotta take care of your child during those hours. I think that's been a huge problem. How do you expect a family to? move forward if you're saying, all right, you're at home, you gotta um, be at home with your child rather than looking for a job. And I know um, the welfare department uh, does make it possible once you start looking for a job, you can um, start going back on CCIS or getting me back into these programs and everything. However, not everybody wants to be on welfare. My mom was very proud and she hated, like it was very minimal how much we were on welfare because she really wanted to work and it didn't matter how little we had. It was about me working, me not, her, well, her working, her not being on welfare. And a lot of people are like that. They don't wanna be on welfare. They do wanna have their own lane and do wanna have a life that is built on their hard work and the sweat off of their back. Mm -hmm. And I think that programs need to respect that and find new ways for families to get in there and yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the snowball effect that can happen? So let's say that a family, a single mother loses CCIS, right? Right, And so her f kids can no longer go to childcare, even if it's just for a few weeks. She has to start going to her job less and she misses out on a promotion. Um, I'm, one of the things that drew me to Northlight was that I'm very interested in the cycles of poverty and right. how people get trapped within those lifestyles. Again, it, it, it ultimately brings about that complacency, but there's a lot of forces that kind of grow up to that apathy and if the family hadn't lost childcare in that first place could things have been different down the road and I, I mean I mean does that question make sense like oh absolutely well I know from my workforce development side that if my parents do not have child services they cannot continue with a program where they knew they were going to be successful. And then they have to take their child out of the the environment where they were starting to cultivate relationships with other children, where they were starting to cultivate relationships with other adults. Now they are removing them from the environment and it feels like they are 
taken away their potential, the something that they actually strive for them to be a part of. And now the family is back in this cycle of I have to go out, I have to look for another job, I have to look for another child care service, I need to look for other aspects to get my kids to their full potential, then so that I can get myself to my full potential. We're getting snaps from John on that. I love it. I think that that leads perfectly into the next question of how does North Light help families and children? I think that you, Bernetta, you just did a great job of touching on not only how it benefits the parents, but also the children and the side effects. I definitely think that um, North Light has been helpful with the families who need childcare by providing scholarships. Uh, it also provides a place for children uh, to me personally I feel like a lot of the children who come to North Light are the children who how can I put this you don't have to worry about political correctness just say it accurately the children who don't have the best social skills whether they need a TSS because their behaviors um, they misbehave in school or whether they just are that awkward kid who doesn't really fit in. Like, we have an array of backgrounds, whether you're Caucasian, whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Asian, we, whether you're impoverished, whether you have a little bit of money to take care of your family. We have so many different backgrounds that come to North Flight, and I think that uh, what, they, what they all have in common it, that I'm noticing, especially in my group now, is that a lot of these children are slightly socially awkward in a sense, not in a bad way, but they don't have that socialization, the social skill set yet. And I don't know if it's because of computers or the technology, because it seems like a lot of more children don't have the social skill set yet. But what I'm noticing is that the families that come in and the children who come in gain a way to talk and communicate with peers in a way that they normally wouldn't. Uh, one of the situations that I have, and I don't want to say any names, is a child who I've worked with for years, and she's very shy, and she does not like to talk in public. She does not like when I have discussions, and she does not like to engage in any of that. However, what she I'm noticing is that she's talking and becoming more vocal, and she's becoming a little bit louder, which could be a little bit annoying. <laughs> but she's speaking more. And if she didn't have that that child care, I mean, not the child care, but just have that social setting where she can discuss different issues and different topics with a group of her peers that she normally wouldn't get either at home or at school, I think that it would hinder her from a lot of socialization with her peers and just her development overall. So that just made me think about when I work with the teenagers and we do group projects at the end of the summer. So we do get a lot of teens that are not really, first of all, they don't know each other. They're all, they're from different various schools in Roxborough and Maniac, my old high school, Saul. 
um, and as well as some strawberry mansions, some charter schools. As people have understand, Philadelphia has changed dynamically in the school in the public school realm. So we get various students to come to our programs, and the one thing is they don't know each other. And if they don't know each other, they're not going to talk to each other. I have so many friends in my phone. I have friends online on my social media networks or my social media platforms. I have friends overseas. I have friends here and there. Why do I need to talk to these people in my face? But when you're there for five, um, one day out of the week for five weeks, at the fifth week, you see them starting to get a little close to each other, having a little small talks with each other. And so, like John was saying, they do start to open up and they start to engage. When something begins, when you begin as a group, you all suffer from that same kind of social awkwardness. But at the end of it, and when you know that you've successfully completed something, then we have something to talk about. Now we have some dialogue. Now we can relate. Now we have a common ground that we can speak on. And a lot of students and a lot of people that I work with say that, oh, I did the Work Ready program. And then we start engaging in the conversation. So it's just having that for these students now. And hopefully we can get some of our child care students to come into our teamwork. Because like Jesse said, we want that continuum of care. Yeah. Exactly. Um, one thing I do want to touch on is because uh, I, I always pick from my own personal life when I deal with these issues because I um, definitely feel like it's necessary to be relatable. And, and in order for you to be, re be relatable, you have to dig deep in what you've been through, your personal experience, in order to relate to other people. My background, and you articulate yourself extremely well. <laughs> My background is a lot of people didn't speak. Like, when I was younger, we didn't speak. And just this socialization and just us talking on a regular basis, I think that especially if you have a child who doesn't know how to articulate themselves well, has a speech impediment, and we do have children who have speech impediments come through North Eye frequently, that gives them the social, the verbal skills skill set to communicate effectively by learning through pairs. Mm -hmm. I pick up words from you, you pick up words from me, you pick up terms, and that's just normal human interaction. And I think that Northlight has been essential in creating a diverse communication because my background is totally different from your background, and even though we're both black, <laughs> it's totally different and yes. your background is totally different than ours but it's similar in a lot of ways and we don't realize that until we start speaking i think that one of the biggest things that i learned so there are certainly differences between myself as a white person and your experiences mm -hmm. as black and brown individuals and bodies in this world right. um one of the things especially as i've gotten to know you and as i got to work in the inner city high school is the amount of similarities that we actually have when we start talking Exactly. You know, and it's not like we're from totally different worlds. Like, We really aren't, though. We really aren't no. from totally different worlds. And I think that's the whole 9. point. 9.8 miles away, to be exact. According <laughs> <laughs> to my GPS in the morning. <laughs> right. And at the end of the day, it, I think, like, you see how we're all smiling. We're able to joke and everything else. That's the whole point that I think I want this podcast to bring out. It's just like, yes, we're all going through stuff. 
But at the end of the day, we all have something in common, and we just need to have those resources and be able to talk to people and get that out of there. Um, so let's talk about back in your day. Back, back in, in your my day. day. Back in your day. <laughs> well, we're not that far. We're not going big. First of all, none of us are 60 years old. Right. Yeah, I'm 25. So we're millennials. I'm not going to throw out my age, but I'm a millennial as well. <laughs> Um, but back in my day when I went to child care services or when I was in child care programming, I was at R.W. Brown Community Center, which I hold near and dear to my heart because they have cultivated me with so many people. I learned how to I learned so much. I learned how to swim. They had a swimming pool. They um, had basketball courts. They had arts and crafts. They had everything that I can think of and imagine. And that's what brought me back to community centers. Well, brought me to North Lake Community Center and actually made me think about how community center, centers are pivotal points for a child in their life. Can I ask you what changes are you noticing in child care, with child care? So the things that I'm noticing is, so when I was growing up, my mentors were people that were of Gen Xers. (laughs) And now, so what I'm noticing is, oh, I'm sorry, Gen X and baby boomers. So baby boomers were essential for getting the, the political realms rolling, getting some some important services into the community centers. And now those baby boomers are now retirees or retiring. And the Gen Xers have not reached back. And they are not being those pivotal points that are turning these community centers into um, ways or places where kids can attach themselves to but now our gen xers are trying to make as much money as possible and sit on some kind of throne or something but they are not reaching back like we need them to we need them to gravitate and to and pull millennials as well as pulling i don't know what the new generation is called but those kids pulling them up say it again are they gen z Generation I But um and I feel that the millennials are doing a lot of the work and I feel like we're getting a lot of pushback from those Gen Xers that are not really reaching back, as I said. They're really trying to take the throne, basically. So it feels like we are in like this game of throne kind of thing where we're fighting for a certain land. And um And like I said, just putting that money back into the community centers and doing some services in the community centers for free. A lot of them have a lot of experience and and not to just touch on race so much, but intellectual experience. I mean, where they can bring it back and people of their same hue can say, oh, I can be her one day or I can be him one day. I know that that's possible for me and being that mentor for them that they need. Definitely agree with that, and I do feel like there's not enough people who are giving back. Um, I feel like, especially um, in the black community, I don't feel like there's definitely enough people who are giving back coming from impoverished backgrounds who know they came from impoverished backgrounds, just going back to their schools and giving back to schools and giving back to these, um, what are they called, uh, child care services and everything. Uh, I also miss when, you know how when you would do something wrong and that neighbor on the street would snitch on you. Oh, yeah. I, I <laughs> miss those days where, like, you couldn't 
children were raised by the entire village was everybody around them and i miss people speaking out on situations mm. the other day i was on the bus and i actually had to break up a fight but what i noticed was these two teenagers they were fighting and all the males the big strong males moved to the front of the bus opposed to jumping in and saying no what are you doing it's mm. like nonsense while you're fighting because the one boy he screamed out oh don't talk about my block it was just complete nonsense, but they rather move to the front and gossip about it rather than mm. create a solution. And you see how small I am. Like, the fact that I was the only one who stepped in and broke up a fight, I feel like it's a statement to our society today and the fact that people would rather talk and not make moves. And we need more people making moves. We need less people talking and more people working towards that change and working towards our future and working towards our youth having a better future because our youth are the people who are going to take care of us. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize it. Well, that's why communities like the uh, Gen Xers have to turn back and help us because we're going to help them mm-hmm. when they need. Um, uh, or we're going to burn all the nursing homes and y'all going to be on the streets. Sorry. We're not going to burn all the nursing homes. We're not going to do that. That's not no, Northland's not way. But it no, would be nice if you We definitely need to turn around and reach back because one day those same facilities that they're going to be in, we are going to be the overseers, the oversiders, and we're going to try to get them as much funding as we can, just like we're doing with the community center right now with our teens. Jesse, back in your day, what was your, because we didn't really touch on you as far as your experience with child care. What is some of your experiences? So I was in child care for as long as I can remember. Uh, My experience with child care was especially like pre-elementary school. Mm -hmm. So I went to serendipity, which was a little preschool uh, where my parents would drop me off. So my mom was an inner city uh, elementary school teacher. My dad did commercial real estate. So they would drop me off at school. Uh, My brother and I would go to the same place from the time that I was very young and I was supervised. We would do arts and crafts. I was always pretty advanced, so I got moved into an older grade and then I went to a private, uh, like, Mm pre-K, kindergarten sort of, or it was kindergarten and pre-first were what the grades were called. Um, But it was called Twin Spring Farms and it was small class sizes, exposure to bunnies, exposure to birds, stuff that... I don't really deal with now, but it certainly got me to look around the world differently and actually engage with the things around me. Um, and this was pre-K? So this was kindergarten and pre-first. So well, what did you do when you were in those um, services before you went to pre-K? Do you remember? In recall? like preschool, like serendipity times? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I remember, <laughs> like, there's one memory that I have of singing around a flagpole with a bunch of kids. Okay. Like, we used to do songs, I think. So the mm-hmm. one thing back in my day, back, mm-hmm. in, your back in my day, which started December 5th, 1993, so it's not going oh back that God. far. But uh, back in my day, there weren't cell phones that distracted child care providers. There wasn't this mass influx of technology that you were expected to do with kids all the time. It was about being part of a community, being part of a group, and kind of speaking to one another and learning. And so a lot of the activities, I'm sure that there were academic competencies that we learned. I'm sure that we learned how to count to some extent. I'm sure that we learned the alphabet. I don't remember that stuff particularly well. What I do remember is being with other people and engaging with them in activities, Mm. whether that be singing the same song, dancing around in a circle, whatever. And I think that that's what the small class size and, you know, the the caregiver to child ratio was like one to six, one to seven. 
that's mm-hmm. a heck of a lot different than in the city when there's one adult with 25 kids. Exactly. Right? I mean, you just can't get the same levels of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the socialization that a lot of the kids that I happen to be in school with allowed for there to be a diversity of opinions within the actual class itself. So kids were better at expressing themselves. Fewer kids, I found, sat back and didn't say anything and instead engaged and furthered the discussion. Mm. You know, whereas a lot of times if, if kids don't have the socialization and engagement skills to actually add value to the conversation but are just kind of there existing within the conversation, then it hits a dead end at some point. Yes. Right? But when kids are creative, when those neural networks are opened up in their mind and they want to explore new opportunities and just be kids and they're not afraid to do that Mm -hmm. then you get some creative stuff and you start with one project and it goes a million different places uh but you know that's exploration that's education that's i definitely want to touch on two things that you said because one of the things that you said was you used to play with animals and I've noticed that, well, I forget where I found out this information, but children who play with animals and have that, like, relationship with animals have more empathy. And I think that develops the empathy towards people, and it's more than just one aspect and just the animals and just taking care of animals, and um, that's essential. But another thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that you said the cell phones, that is, I feel like that's the, one of the changes in childcare that is the biggest struggle. We have a no cell phone policy in our program at North Light, but I, it's just, it's like an epidemic. Everybody's on their cell phone. Everybody's using a computer or laptop. It's just, it's so annoying. And even trying to get my... Can, yes. can, I, can, I, can I piggyback off of that? Go ahead. Yes. So not only do I see the individual students and on their cell phones but i see professionals on their cell phones mm-hmm. and not talking and and paying attention to what the the children are doing mm-hmm. that is something personally that just grinds my gears because if i'm nine to five and i'm two to three I'm on my phone for a good hour engaged in my phone instead of engaging in the environment Whew, yeah. man, oh man, it was, that's when those Navy uh, pay attention to details come into play. Because I'm like, did you see that fly on the wall? Mm-hmm. You didn't, because you was on your phone. You missed it. <laughs> Just for those of you who don't know, Bernetta was in the Navy. She was a CB. Yes. So that's what that little shout out was. But John, if I can, or if we as a group can kind of approach both of the questions that you ask, uh, for the listeners, I apologize if this is a bit circuitous. But I think that if we start with the technology and the influx of technology, Mm -hmm. it can actually get to the empathy that animals and other interactions with living beings helps to create. There is a lack of human interaction. I'm talking like we are talking right now, looking each other in the eyeballs and actually speaking our minds about something that is cathartic for people. It's actually healthy. It brings out the best in us. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of that. I mean, especially... This isn't to say anything about under-resourced parents. This is just the opportunities that are available to their kids. From what I have seen, there are a number of kids who grew up because they had a single parent. They didn't have that grandmother to go to. They spent those first years where the neural networks are firing, and we're sorry to keep using that word, but we're we're learning how to actually engage. We're learning our habits that are going to build what we learn in the future, what we ask in the future, which is only going to... Again, that snowball effect is only going to reinforce what we actually learn. Mm. 
They spend the first years of their lives watching TV. Not engaging with a human being, just engaging with technology. And then as the iPads, as the iPhones have become more complex and more and more of our lives are built into that, they have not been challenged, I'll say, to communicate in an effective way with another human being. There is such an emphasis on hard skill development in education and in parenting, I feel, that we miss out on the fact that soft skills are really where success is going to come from. Resilience, grit, being able to speak to people. That's almost more important. It's great if you understand how to do a Punnett square, mm. which is a biology thing. That's one of my favorite examples. Because I don't know I was, what that is. I don't so know it's, do it. it's like Gregor Mendelssohn or Gregor Mendel had, sorry, this is from ninth grade bio back in my day. In ninth grade bio, it was like you, it's a distribution of how the genes can possibly break down and the different permutations of how it's like big B, little b for primary and like recessive genes. I'm sorry if that's not completely correct. That is very rusty information that I'm regurgitating. But I know how to do that. A lot of kids were taught how to do that. We're not taught how to speak and work in teams. We're, we're put at such heavy competition. It's you against the other person against you because both of you guys are going to try to go to Stanford. Instead of learning how to collaborate with one another, so we're just going to make everybody about. better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that we're really losing out. And so the combination of the extra pressure that's being put on kids from a younger age to excel, put them at competition or in competition with their acquaintances as opposed to in collaboration with. Mm -hmm. And then you add the technological aspect where they can escape from the world without actually engaging with anybody. Mm -hmm. I think that all of those things are perpetuating a really negative sense of social welfare community that used to exist in the world and again as a little shout out to Northlight I mean that that's kind of what we're about is trying to bring that back exactly um one thing I want to say is my aunt used to call them anti-social devices when uh, you remember when the mp3 came out Mm. anybody remember mp3s yeah I remember like like right after the walkman yeah yeah kind of exactly the nano yeah, so I had one of those, and I would always, every time I would come to, a, like, an event, I would have those in my ears, and I didn't want to engage with anybody. And she was like, take your antisocial device out of your ears. And I think that parents need to emphasize that. Like, have one thing that was big in my household was family time and just sitting down having game nights. And me and my mom, we still do this to this day. Like, we're very, I'm very competitive. What's your favorite game? Phase 10. And I can, I will kick there my was mom's no butt in phase there. 10. <laughs> she knows it. I know. <laughs> I got to play him in phase 10. You're not going to beat me. Yes. But, but and Scrabble, I'm good at that. And Words with Friends. Words with Friends is like an online game that I love. But um, those type of games are just socializing with your peers and everything. I don't feel like families are doing that enough. And I think that, yes, child care facilities have been able to help with that and get children to get off of that perspective, I mean, get out of their antisocial devices and more engaged with, like, games and everything else. But I think it's up to the parents as well to start taking that step. It, it, the parents need to really say, all right, it's time for us to be a family. It's time for us to start talking to each other. It's time for us to make that eye contact and talk about these issues that you're going on, that are going on in home and school mm. and everything else. I think that's essential for not just us as a community center, not other child care facilities, but parents and all of us to be that village who raises their child the right way and go down the right avenue other than 
being antisocial, not knowing how to make eye contact, not knowing how to communicate effectively with people, and being shy with eye contact or socializing? Well, I'm just going to speak from a nurturing point of view. Nurturing. Since I'm an only woman in the room. Ooh. Represent. <laughs> it does take a village. And that's why we continue to say that over and over again, because it takes a village. But it's one pivotal por- person in that village that the child needs or two. But it's their parents. And if we continue to... Because I hear this very often. Well, let the teachers do it. I'm going to drop them off at the doctors and let them handle their health. Um, oh. oh, I'll, um, I'll, you know, they're going to see their tutor. Let them do their homework. Exactly. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know this. I don't know how to do this. Um, and then it becomes like, like when you said the right way of parenting. Nobody really knows what the right and wrong ways are, especially if their village had cultivated them a certain way so then it becomes this whole cycle that we go back into and from a social worker also standpoint you just have to do a needs assessment and find out what is actually needed what are the goals of the parents and what are the goals of the child like what does the parent or, or, or sorry what's the parent's goal what's the parent's goal for their child and then what is the child's goal that has to be on the same at least in the same book they don't have to be on the same page but they at least have to be in the same book so that professionals can start that cultivate them in the right direction give your child a voice because the one thing i do not like and this is something that I always hated. It's a huge pet peeve of mine. Is that I'm a child. I mean, you're a child. I'm an adult. Whatever I say goes. This, that, and the third. Give your child a voice. Let them be heard. Yes, always reel them in when they get out of line. However, give them a voice. Allow them to express themselves in the best possible way and be heard. I think that a lot of times parents don't hear them, and we have this expectation. But the reality is, the child doesn't want any of that and sometimes the child they really might love technology they really do like a lot of these children really do love technology they can do really great things with technology it's just about you even if they are into technology sit with that child talk about the game this that and the third like that's a moment you can share with them socializing with them and getting what they're interested in and what is it called um not promoting, but like, you know, no, like Pushing. developing that skill, developing. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that you talked about how education is kind of a narrative told by the point of a child, right? Education right. is not about the skills that we learn and then regurgitate and then forget again. Education, as Albert Einstein said, is everything that's left when you forgot what you learned, right? Mm-hmm. right? It, it's, it's a conversation that needs to bring the child into it, but also needs to be led by the parents. One of the worst parts about our education system right now is that there is a complete miss, like we look at education the wrong way where what happens in school we think is 100% of the child's education. And it's not. What happens at home is the most, is the biggest part, right? Parents need to take responsibility. What you do at home, children are modeling your behavior. Your child is watching you. And I've never dealt with that pressure not everybody's made out to be a parent. Not everybody needs to be a parent. I don't but agree with that, though. That not everybody's made out to be a parent? I don't agree with that. I 
do think that um, certain people, yes, there are people, parents who've had uh, situations that I wouldn't agree with and everything else, but there are certain things that even the worst of parents can teach a child to foster them in the right direction. I think that it's natural for every person who is with the child to be some sort of protective. Even the most abusive parent will be protective in certain respects. Like, let that child have somebody disrespect them in school, and they got to stick up for that child. They will come down to the school, and they will stick up for that child. So it's like, it's not the right thing, but I do believe everybody well, is. I, I guess that I misspoke a little bit, because I do not believe that there is a right way to parent. Yeah, I think that they're in in the trauma informed world. I'm doing a lot of trauma informed professional developments. There's a term called good enough parenting, yeah. where you do the best that you can for the child. When I say that not everybody's made to be a parent, I'm talking about the people who do not want to take the responsibility to spend time with their kids and raise and develop a human life. Not that everybody's got to do everything right. Not that everybody's got to do everything the way that my parents did. My parents were not perfect. Would not suggest it. Nobody is. But that, that idea of good enough, where what you do truly comes from a love, compassion, and care for the child that you are bearing and bringing into the world, yeah. that's a very important piece. And I guess that that's more so what I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, definitely got a little bit off what we were talking about, so sorry about that. That was uh, my fault. Sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. <laughs> Again, this is episode number one. We will continue to improve. Yes. And this it just speaks volumes to what this podcast will talk about because we are very passionate about working in community centers and over the years child care has been extremely helpful with aiding families who need intervention whether it's DHS related or divorcing families families with children who are struggling with homework or children developing social skills specifically in North Flight it's like Cheers, where everybody knows your name and is always glad you came. Giving families their ray of light is what families do. Families, what families do child care and continued care do on a regular basis. So giving family their ray of light on the regular basis and child care is what North Light is actually our motto. Like we really want to give that to our community as a whole. I want to say thank you to everyone listening. Um, and if you want to help North Light Community Center, Jesse, where can yeah, you Yeah, so it? you can go to northlightcommunitycenter.org. Uh, there is a give now button if you are at the hyperlink, you can also go to northlightcommunitycenter.org slash donate, which is a new page that is not linked up unless you know the URL itself. Okay. Uh, so we're still working on that. But uh, if you go to our website, you can also come by the center at 175 Green Lane, Philadelphia, PA 19127, right in the heart, in between Maniunks, Main Street, and Roxborough's Ridge Avenue. Um, we would love to see you anytime. Also, join us for our open house and play day on May 19th. From That's from Sunday! Yeah, it's Sunday. <laughs> Most of you got have nothing to do but go to church, and you better go to church. But yeah, <laughs> Come to open house after church. Yes, definitely come to the open house after church. And it's from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. There's going to be games, contests, face painting, food, lots of fun, you guys. It's a great time, a great way to have something to do with your children and have a fun moment with your families and learn more about Northlight and other uh, 
venues that are in the area. So our next discussion will be... We're not exactly sure of the date and time yet. We will have that filled in for every podcast here forth. Again, this is the first one, and we are yeah. learning. I apologize. Well, hopefully we'll discuss um, DHS and families on the next one. And this is John Thornton. Bernetta Williams. And Jesse Kohler. Have a great day.